Bov 90 and FM 96.9. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Dufer and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9 and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and at Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Well, I am good because I had, at lunch, four cups of coffee. Oh, you're going to be up all night. So no, I'm going to be up. I'm going to be really rocking on this radio show. <laughs> all right. Well, don't talk too fast. Our guest needs to be able to understand you. And who and, is our you know, guest? We have that New York accent and all. So speaking of our guest, we have with us. We're thrilled to welcome to the show Mary Larkin, who's a designer and owner of In Larkin in Santinez Valley. Mary, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me, Diane. So the first article today is, is from today's news. And, you know, it's so interesting that when you think about investing, you think about the economy and you think about earnings. And the presumption is that a good economy, good earnings means the stock market's going to go up. Well, today, the U.S. manufacturing growth index slowed uh, and it declined in September to its weakest pace in more than two years. And the market went up. And yet that's not a surprising because what's driving the market, I think, today more than anything else is the Fed and interest rate increases. And there's a group of investors, a large group of investors that are afraid that the Fed is going to overreact. And what this, I think, uh, is telling uh, some of those investors is that if, in fact, manufacturing growth is slowing, maybe the Fed will ease up a bit. And that would, uh, I think, be a good thing for the stock market, I'm not so sure, a good thing for the world in general, but at least I think that's one of the explanations why the market was so strong today. Well, that coupled with the fact that I can't remember if it was the UN or the WHO, some international figure asked the Fed to stop raising interest rates yeah. for the global good. Yeah. And also uh, the other thing that happened today is that uh, the prime minister of, of England backed away from their tax cuts on the rich. And that was really causing turmoil in the market because it, um, well, first of all, it was nuts, but more importantly, it uh, was going to cause a great deal of problems in, in England. And there's so much business that we do there uh, and the world does there that it could have had a negative effect on on the market. At plus, in order to combat a, a tax cut like that, the Bank of England would have had to raise rates even higher than they would otherwise. Uh, the next article is entitled, Goldman Program Helps Entrepreneurs Grow Their Business. And this is an interesting article. Goldman Sachs, which essentially is in the business of helping very big institutions, um, has been uh, for the last, I guess, five years, or maybe even, well, well actually, the article says 
uh, 10 years, has been running a annual uh, cra- monthly crash course in entrepreneurship for small businesses. Um, and one would have to question, why would Goldman Sachs, whose customers are basically big businesses, do this? And one of the reasons is that um, hopefully some of those small businesses will become big businesses, but also they they believe that um, because they've had such a bad reputation from the 2008 market debacle, that uh, they want to make sure that uh, the middle American business person likes Goldman Sachs. And so they're spending a great deal of money on this program. That's what the article says. The other thing I think that's going on is they are beginning to you know, with their Marcus Mutual Fund, money market fund, to, to look at some retail business. And if you remember, 25 years ago, Apple began basically giving away Apple computers to schools. And the idea was everyone used Microsoft, but if schools used Apple, maybe they would become, those kids would become used to Apple. And when they grew up and became business people, they would insist upon Apple, which is exactly what happened. So, you know, part of this- Well, and I also think that Goldman, you know, has a perception problem. And if if they're just known as your grandparents' financial house, they're going to have a harder time attracting and retaining that tech, young youth side of the business. The next article um, is one that was both in the the, uh, New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And I had to read it five times, each one of them. I'm not sure I understand it, but I'm going to go try to get to the highlights of it. I always love these articles when you start. I don't know if I understand it. Well, maybe you do, because I'm not quite clear, but it's called LDI strategy. LDI strategy is a sort of like uh, the derivative uh, phrase in the 2007-2008, where a bunch of you know, geniuses, rocket scientists who were 19 years old decided that one of the ways to avoid a debacle in the housing market was to buy or sell derivatives as a way of hedging their bets. And of course, we know that didn't work out particularly well. Pension funds are under a lot of pressure uh, because as we know, uh, as uh, the stock market declines, the amount of unfunded liabilities a pension fund is faced with goes up. And they were not in great shape to begin with pension funds. So in England, they began um, telling actually the pension funds to create a hedge with these LD, LDIs. Um, well, I think it's important when you say LDI, you say what that means. It means liability driven investing. Right. And so Which what basically means they're investing with the end goal of making sure that they can pay people out. Well, it's making sure that when interest rates rise and bond prices fall, that the uh, there's a way of hedging against that. Um, and uh, what happened here, you know, and I, you know, I go back to Black Swan and, you know, the, the, every time we see a, you know, a standard deviation for one in a million, like we saw the floods in Florida, we say, well, that really shouldn't happen. Well, these, hedges, just like the 2008 hedges, uh, were assuming a sort of normal risk distribution. Well, when the markets were hit with the kind of interest rate rises that we've had, I mean, interest rates have doubled in the last year. More than doubled. It's crazy. Right. So 
Uh, We're in the worst bond bond market since George Washington was president. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if George Washington is still long bonds. I wonder if he's gotten out of his bonds yet. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, so the 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 um, the the, what happened is because of the huge swing in interest rates, the derivatives backfired, and you know here we go again, where they make a formula that they believe is going to be. Uh, helpful in avoiding risk, and it just exacerbated the rich, the the the, the risk, and so the, you know there's this total panic now about having to unwind these uh, LDIs, and you know it's like nobody ever learns. Here we are well, again. And that's the real sad part because we're coming off you know three four years of the biggest bull market in history, and they're still employing these same techniques that have shown not to work over time. Absolutely. The next article is about uh, certain uh, index funds that are designed to uh, ameliorate risk. And they've had a huge inflow because people are concerned about the stock market decline. In- inflows this year have been uh, are up by $6 billion. And uh, what the idea behind them is that if you uh, uh, are willing to give up some of the upside, they will protect you on the downside. And the interesting thing is- I think the caveat is there should be a little asterisk that says, except when they don't. Except when they don't. And what happens, what, what's happening is you're actually giving up too much of the upside is what some of the observers in this article have said. <laughs> and uh, the uh, upside protection, the downside protection really depends on when you buy it. Because if you buy it too late, you may not be getting all of the downside protection. So, uh, and the fees are very high. So, it's not a panacea for you know way of hedging the stock market. Um, and the next article, last article we have today, is um, it's really kind of unbelievable. But right now, or right before now, if you sold something on eBay or Real Real. Um, for more than $20,000, meaning you probably were a dealer, you would get a 1099 and have to show uh, that as income. And you needed to have receipts to show what the actual expense was to uh, eliminate any tax. Well, this year, they've reduced the threshold from $20,000 to $600. So that if you sell something through either PayPal or um, any of the websites that uh, are uh, used to sell stuff, you better have a receipt uh, for the purchase of it because they're mandated to report that to the IRS, which is really nuts because um, you, it's, the, the burden on you is to show that that receipt was either a legitimate gift or it was a sale of something that you purchased. Well, I think what's important to realize is I think they're moving that in line with as a small business owner, if you hire somebody and pay them more than $600, you have to send them a 1099 as well. Yes, but this is something that, you know, when someone buys, you know, a carpet and sells it 15 years later, it's highly unlikely they're going to have the receipt for the carpet. Sure. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and 96.9 FM, and we'll be right back. For 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. The Montecito Trails Foundation preserves and maintains public trails in Montecito, Summerland, and Carpinteria. Here's Ashley Mayfield with advice on how to hike safely and avoid heat stroke. On the hottest days, you want to carry 32 ounces or a liter of water per hour of exercise. And to balance out your water, you also want to have an electrolyte. That can be a simple salty snack. It can be pretzels, but you want to carry some calories as well as water. You want to have long sleeves, hats. You also want to leave a note at home with somebody. You can shoot your friend a simple text. You can leave a note in your car. But you want to tell people, I'm going on X hike with this person or by myself. And then a key piece of this is also expect me back around this time. If I'm not back by this time, you should be worried. To learn more about the Montecito Trails Foundation, go to MontecitoTrailsFoundation.info or call 805-969-3514. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Mary Beth Larkin, a visionary designer with an eye for major movements in fashion with us today. She has worked for you know, many famous fashion houses and is now on her own. And I think Athla Glamour is, is her game right now. So Mary, thanks so much for joining our show. Well, thank you for having me. So share with us where you're from and how you got involved in fashion. So I actually am from the East Coast. Um, Originally, I am from Connecticut. And I then moved to New York City to study fashion design. Um, And then moved to- Now, where did you go? Did you go to like Parsons or something? So I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So So has it always been a dream of yours to go into fashion? Yes, I would say from a very young age, I really always had a passion for fashion. And, you know, I was very determined to go to school for it, to study it. So I actually went to school at FIT um, and I studied there for four years and got my BFA there. 
um, and I was hired out of school to design for Armani. Now, how did you get that break? That seems like a big break to come out of school and be designing for somebody like Armani. It was, it was a really big break, actually. You are totally right. Um, well, I would have to say that, first of all, going to FIT, that was not a normal experience. I mean, you were really like, you're dropped into the deep end. And it's pretty much, a, it was like real life and like working life. I had eight classes a semester. It was incredibly vigorous. And the last year we were offered internships and I was offered an internship with Armani for one of the only brands that they have in the United States. And I was actually interning for them for a year for free. And they hired me out of this internship. Oh, wonderful. See, yes. internships work, everybody. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's, and interestingly enough, I have two interns that started with me and are now getting paid for me. Um, but I totally believe in internships. I think that's such an amazing way to experience um, working culture. So now explain to us fashion, because many of us go to the store and just buy whatever we see that we like, you know, and then I can't help but to have, you know, Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada on my shoulder being like, oh, that was on the runway, that color, or that, that, mm -hmm. you know, style. How does mm -hmm. it work? How do you get your creative juices flowing to create that next big it fashion? So I'm definitely, I would say, currently, I'm very inspired by my customers. I mean, I think that it's really, it's such phenomenal intel being able to actually, I like literally work in my store and I talk to my customers and they tell me what they like, they're, what they're looking for basically. And then because I am a creative designer, um, how we go about doing design is that, you know, I come up with some kind of theme. One of my collections, the theme was the word oliferous, which meant, which meant having wings. So I carried this wing um, detail throughout my entire collection. And that's probably the difference between like actual design, because you're working with something that is like, um, a creative idea and you're taking that creative idea and working through a whole collection. So yeah. if you go in business school, they, they tell us that the two worst businesses to go into for the standpoint of success are restaurants and fashion. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the probabilities of success are the lowest in those two areas. Did, did, did you, did you know that or did you not care? when you decided this is your career path? You know, it's so interesting because my dad was a doctor and went to Yale and Harvard. And I remember when I grew up, my neighborhood I grew up, they were like, your parents are letting you go to fashion school? Is that even a real school? <laughs> so it was definitely not something that was um, respected by any means, but it was debt 
definitely an innate passion within me that I really was drawn to it, even though I really didn't have any of the skill set. Like when I went to college, I actually, that's when I actually learned the skills. So I didn't know how to sew. I didn't know how to actually draw designs. I just had design ideas in my head. And I then learned those skills in school. But I would definitely agree with you 150% that fashion is incredibly difficult. It's an incredibly difficult industry. And I think that because there is so much out there, people think that it probably it isn't that difficult, <laughs> but it is definitely, I mean, even at school, I think I started with probably 700 students and in the BFA program that I graduated from, I, I graduated with 50. So, wow. and then out of those 50, I mean, maybe 10 of them got jobs. So definitely difficult industry. And how long did you stay with Armani before breaking, branching out on your own? So I worked for them just under 10 years. So I kind of worked my way up from intern to assistant designer, to designer, to senior designer. Um, and then I got to a point where I, we had to get so many different approvals. Um, we had to get internal approvals, but then each of my designs had to get approved by Mr. Armani. So there was a lot of back and forth and I got to a point where I still really wanted to be a designer, but I really had a bigger goal and vision for myself. And I was talking to my mom on the phone one day and she was like, if you're going to work a million hours for him, why don't you do it for yourself? And interestingly enough, I never actually thought about doing it for myself. So that's kind of where that started the bug in my ear. And then I really started to seriously hone in on that. So, so um, when I went to get an Armani jacket last year, I asked, when they told me the price, I asked, does that include automatic transmission? And <laughs> uh, so my question to you is, it, are you paying, when you buy an Armani uh, garment, are you paying just for the name and design, or are you also paying for quality? Is there is there a discernible difference in, in the quality of a, of a designer like Armani? Maybe we should have Neil block his ears so he doesn't actually hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen anyway. It's fine. <laughs> so yes, I, there is definitely a difference. I mean, a lot of people, you know, ask that question, and I think that <laughs> it's so. I mean, if you were to like pull out the lining of an Armani suit and like look at the actual construction and even putting on a piece from Armani, I mean, you see the fit and then you feel how it feels on your body and you automatically feel, you feel like an energy from this design. I mean, that's what I think is the major difference between designer versus mass production clothing. Is so that, so how so how come I had lunch today with Diane and I wore an Armani jacket and people still thought I was old? <laughs> you're you're listening to Money Talk on AM twelve ninety and FM ninety six point nine, and we'll be right back. 
When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service, every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese! Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The first superhighway in America opened in 1940, 160 miles of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The highway utilized the roadbed and unfinished tunnels from an abandoned railroad project of the 1880s to make the nation's first limited access divided highway. Today, the turnpike extends to 470 miles. Nationally, states spend $100 billion per year on their highways. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So I'm from New York, as you may have gathered, and um, I love it here. I'm, I'm not interested in New York anymore, but I've noticed that people from Santa Barbara, and this is something I actually like, but people from Santa Barbara are not fashion plates. Uh, fashion here is you put clothes on. Uh, how does that affect you as someone that has worked for a top designer? It, it seems to me as just, you know, someone who's a casual observer, that this is not a place for hot cuisine. This, not cuisine, what's the word? Couture. Uh, <laughs> Couture. Well, it isn't for that either. Food's not great. No. Uh, so uh, how does that affect- Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> yes. So how does that affect your, what what you do? I mean, people here, you know, don't want stuff that you could, you could sell in LA and New York. Well, I hate to tell you, Neil, but you are not correct with this. Um, actually, Santa Barbara has a very cosmopolitan- um, population. So they're exposed to a lot of different designers and they actually, so many of them travel around the world buying these designers collections. So although Santa Barbara is definitely more casual, I think that that's where my brand really hits home is because 
although I'm doing clothing that is, you know, definitely more stylish, I am also incorporating this comfort aspect. And that's really what ties me into Santa Barbara. And I think that that's why I've been successful here is because of the fact that although I'm doing clothes that are maybe more tailored or more detailed and more fashionable, they also have that comfort aspect to them, which is why we trademarked the word ath glamour, which we say is the fashionable cousin of athleisure. And athleisure is really what you're talking about is like the women wearing their Lululemons all day long and their sweatshirts. Um, but what I've tapped into is these women still want to, they still want this comfort aspect, but they want to feel beautiful. And that's really what my brand's all about. And so who do you think your target or who is your target market? So I would say my target, like my sweet spot is 45 to 65. But that being said, there's definitely a trend towards um, younger as well. So like 35 to 45 and also even older 65. So I have actually pretty wide demographic, which is kind of surprising. And and what's your price point? So it depends. Um, you know, I have t-shirts for about 58 and then I have jackets and blazers at about 400 retail. And so when you did your, your, um, you know, kind of your, your marketing plan or, or your evaluation of where you should open your store, how did you come up with Seninez? Well, it is kind of, I was actually talking to the, Neil about this. It's pretty interesting. So I've done pop-ups in Santa Barbara and I was very successful in Santa Barbara. Um, so I was looking at Santa Barbara and Montecito. And currently I just, I don't really feel that, I, I'm not really that thrilled with the direction that downtown Santa Barbara is going in. And it just seems like there's a lot of issues um, with homelessness, with safeness, um, even with tourists. So, and the landlords and the city, there's just so many moving parts that need to be resolved that I kind of was not targeting so much on Santa Barbara. And then Montecito, there's not that many spaces available. So that was an issue there. And I had some clients um, and other business owners that actually were located in San Inez on the street that I'm located on, which is Segunta Street. And they told me that I need to come and check the street out. And sure enough, I came and checked it out. And it's just so special. I mean, there's so many creators, there's just different kind of shops. I mean, it's not like mass produced shops that you see in every city. There's really some like amazing art. There's amazing jewelry. There's other clothing stores. I mean, it's really something special. 
But so does the, the the customers though are from where? I mean, where? I mean, the, I would imagine Santa Ynez is not enough. People who live there is not enough customers for you for the kind of fashion that you have. So where? Well, people- interestingly enough, believe it or not, Neil, it is the majority of my customer base since. So I opened July one, and the majority of my customer base is locals. And the difference is, I'd say, a lot less traffic, but the people that come in are buying. So there's a big difference there. Now, we don't have the same kind of tourism that Los Olivos has, but that's also picking up. So we do get like tour groups through here. There's some amazing wineries. There's amazing restaurants. Um, so that you, are like, would you say most of, so most of your clients are are locals. Yes. How much of that tourism business are you able to capture? So, I mean, there's not that many. I, I feel like the amount of tourists that come through here maybe is like 10% of my business. So, and then of that 10%, I would say that I've been very successful with, you know, getting sales from them. But there's not a huge, like the, I feel like this is up and coming still. So I feel like more people are going to start coming here because there are so, it's just different. It's totally different from Los Olivos. It's really special in terms of the diversity of stores and there's makers here. I mean, there's somebody that makes custom cowboy hats and custom jewelry and then there's artists that are actually working in their galleries. I mean, it's very cool. So you have really, you're wearing two hats. You're selling and you're designing. Mm-hmm. So you're in front of the store and back of the store. Yes, it's challenging. <laughs> it's definitely challenging. Um, but I would have to say that having my own store out of my whole career, this is definitely the most rewarding. Has, this has been the most rewarding experience because when I worked with Armani, I was working with my buyers, which was great, but I wasn't actually getting to connect with the consumer. And now being able to con- connect with the consumer, that's really how you grow as a designer is talking to the consumer and getting their feedback and learning what they love, learning what they, you, you know, what they want. So if somebody comes in and says, you know, this is not exactly what I want, do you do custom work too? It's so funny. You just said that because somebody just came in today and they wanted me to do something for them. It's not something that I'm doing right now, but it's definitely something that's on my radar. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. 
We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much, for taking me out to the park, for reading me books, for taking Taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot in ballet rehearsal, for leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And And now, as a grown-up... I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom, for having the chance to take you to the park, for reading you those books we enjoy so much, for being able to take you to your therapies after you twisted your ankle, for understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. Visit aarp.org caregiving to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved one. Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP, we help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So Mary, tell us about, as a high-end fashion designer, Tell us about your experience of how it's different from that mass retail shopping experience. I know we touched on it on the break, but let's share it with our listeners. Okay, so mass um, mass fashion, whatever you want to call it, that's it's not really designing. You know, that's it's not a creative process. It's it's really more about the dollars and the cents and, you know, and it's Meaning interesting it's more about the business model of making. Yeah. Money it's more living. about the business and it's not really about people that have an understanding of fashion or really care about fashion. So it's kind of a little bit what um, Neil was talking about with, you know, Santa Barbara and a lot of people that he didn't really think really care about fashion that they're where you know they're more interested in mass production but i would say that there are a lot of people that do really want that experience and i feel like with designer clothing and clothing that makes you feel something um it's a complete different model than um clothing that you're buying like fast fashion or you know just in a big box store chain store so then what do you think about all of these you know high-end designers teaming up with mass retailers like target for some of their off brands missoni's done it vera wang has done it um what what's going on there and and what are your thoughts on that 
So basically that's just, it's like another vertical for them, um, for revenues, another revenue stream. Um, but they are still capsule collections. So they're doing a limited time collection. They're doing it for ex brand exposure. They're doing it for that person that they know loves their brand, but can't afford to buy their brand, but wants a piece of that like experience. So these designers are typically doing it for a really like limited seven piece collection for, you know, and small batches. And even if they're doing it for like H&M or something like that, it's typically in, you know, only the H&Ms that are in major cities. And then it's usually a small collection, a smaller collection in terms of quantities they buy. And that those people stand in line to get those pieces. And would you say it's the same quality or is it a lesser quality? Oh yeah, no, it's a total, it's a lesser quality, but there is like that design element to it. So, you know, they're not using as expensive um, fabrics. They're not using the same kind of thread. They're not using the same kind of tailoring, but they are doing a design that feels special and makes the consumer feel like they got a taste of Valentino or they got a taste of, you know, all the different brands that have done that. How do you deal with the, the financial side? Uh, how do you, for example, finance your inventory? Uh, is, obviously, you know, you, you need to have cash flow, uh, but most fashion businesses, I imagine, need to work with some type of financial institution to finance working capital and inventory. It's a struggle, definitely. Um, you know, previously, I feel like factoring was a really big thing in terms of business would work with factors to get those monies for the POs and stuff like that. But because I am going to direct to consumer, that's not really an option for me. So that's definitely, I've been self-funding it, but it's, you know, I could do only limited collections and stuff like that. So, you know, the money's coming in, then I'm investing that back into another collection. So it's really like a revolving yeah, it's, it's interesting. So do you it's think that's a sustainable yeah. model or how do you see yourself getting to a better um, point in terms of financing? Well, I definitely think that um, I will be looking for investors soon as I can actually get my business plan updated and stuff like that. So that's kind of exciting because the store is doing great. Um, and I do want to open more stores. So this is actually a template for future stores. And I would like them to be across the country. So now as a business owner, are you finding it difficult to hire employees to work the shop? Yeah, interestingly, you say that that is something we're looking at right now. And I was just actually talking to somebody else that works with me and they were saying that they had all these interviews set up and 15 minutes before the interviews, people are canceling interviews. So it's definitely a different climate in terms of hiring, I'd say right now. And it's not in the business's favor. 
So as one, as an, what other obstacles besides hiring are you seeing in terms of, you know, having that vision of opening up uh, in Larkin and every, you know, in every major city in America? Well, as Neil touched on, fashion is one of the most difficult um, companies to, or the most difficult company, um, sectors to get investment in. So that's challenging in terms of, you know, presenting something that you think is special enough and unique enough to actually build a solid brand that is, you know, across the United States or global. So I would say that that's definitely challenging is presenting to investors and coming from an industry that is typically very difficult to get investment. And then if it's women led, it's even harder. So in your in your clothing, you have a, a blazer. You have your name tag in that blazer, correct? Yes. So yes. you could actually sell that garment in uh, Wendy Foster. Uh, yes. So is that something you consider? Uh, uh, I mean, because all of these stores sell, you know, brand name stuff as well. Yes. It Especially with your, with your relationship with buyers from your time at Armani. Well, actually, I worked for, um, so Armani was really big with having their own stores. So that's, it's a little bit different. Um, and it was a very lucrative sales model. And I actually worked for Armani Exchange, which actually was the highest. We, it was super successful. And their business model was just to sell through their own stores. They actually started with wholesale. And they realized that really where the money is, is having your own stores. So, and I tend to lean that way. I'm not against wholesale. I, I'm open to wholesale. Um, but I do think that where I'm seeing success is actually being able to show my collection collectively in a store environment where a boutique's not just buying like one or two or three pieces. And typically speaking, how many pieces are in each of your collections? I would say I'm trying to do drops every month now. So I'm doing like drops of like four to six pieces every month. But what's interesting about my collections is that everything works back to like my first collection. So my all the pieces are continuing to be building blocks with the previous collections. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment alone. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Here in California, thousands of kids are growing up without moms or dads to love or guide them. I'm Sean Anders, director of the Daddy's Home Movies. My wife and I adopted three amazing siblings, and they are the best thing that ever happened to us. We're a family now and so grateful for the day we called Kinship Center, who guided us to the kids we love so much. Contact Kinship Center to learn about the rewards of becoming an adoptive parent. Call 800-454-6744. That's 800-454-6744. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Mary, share with us some of your, your um, you know, over-exceeded expectations. You've been in business now with your own store since July 1st of this year, what have been some of your major milestone successes? I definitely would say that recently my most major milestone success was getting through COVID. That was definitely a period of time where there was so much uncertainty and I really was not sure what direction to go in. And it was extremely challenging especially not having, you know, major financing behind you to do major advertising. Cause you know, obviously I have an e-com store as well. And, you know, which is beautiful. I have a really amazing e-com website, but uh, the thing is that a lot of people don't realize is you don't just develop a website and people automatically find it. It's like, you have to have some, a serious budget to do advertising and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have that. So that was challenging. And I had to do pop-ups during COVID when you didn't know if you were going to get shut down. You didn't know what was going to happen and if people were even going to come. And it was unbelievably successful. So And so for our listeners listening to this program and are interested in checking out your um, online store before they make the trek up to San Inez, because, you know, we don't like to drive here in San (laughs) Francisco, what is the website that they should go to? So it's inlarkin.com, I-N-L-A-R-K-I-N.com. And if they're looking for a Sunday afternoon jaunt to have some shopping and and see some eclectic area, please tell us your address again. 
It's 3568 Segunto Street, Suite D, as in dog. <laughs> well, I definitely think you'll get some some new visitors to the store. And then I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, do you have some sort of cowgirl line? I don't have a cowgirl line, but I would have to say that the store is I've gotten such an amazing reaction from the store. And my husband's a builder, so I come up with these elaborate visions and he makes them happen. So it's a real it's an experience. I, my store is absolutely beautiful. So I feel I feel so lucky to be able to come to it every day. Do, do, do you use the store to manufacture as well? That's a dream. I'd love to be able to have my own manufacturing, actually. Um, so that's that's part of my bigger picture. But right now, no. Now, so, how you, long does it take you to get from concept to um, product? So it, it, I'd say right now it's taking about six months. So I'm working a little bit faster than like when I was at Armani, we worked a year out. So I would say I'm working quicker than. Is this a, does the supply chain affect you? Because some of the vendors are having trouble getting the materials to do the to, to do the work you having definitely, trouble definitely been affected ever since covid i mean you can't rely on anything to be honest with you um between any like fedex dhl i mean the shipping the factories the timing it's i mean i guess that's where it's really a positive thing i have my own store because i have more flexibility as whereas if I was selling wholesale, you have deadlines where you have to deliver goods or, you know, they're canceling orders. Well, thank you so much, Mary Larkin, uh, for um, being with us today. And we wish you the best of luck on this venture. Uh, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk and we'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.